Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's called The Science Podcast. A couple of atheists that run this podcast. So I thought you'd be interested to hear what they say. This is only one little bit. It's like it's over half an hour. And I couldn't play you the whole thing because I'd have to have so many beeps in it bleeping out the expletives. Tonight's episode of the Science Enthusiast Podcast is brought to you by the Maplewood, Missouri Department of Tourism. Domestic abuse is a sensitive subject and all good Maplewoodians, because I guess I don't know what you call somebody from Maplewood, Maplewoodians, know how to keep their mouth shut about domestic violence. That's why in Maplewood, Missouri, it's an actual fucking law that you can't call law enforcement more than two times in a 180-day period to report domestic abuse. Otherwise, you might get kicked out of town, which is a real actual thing that happened, and I am not making this up. Because after all, what better way to prevent the hassle of ensuring the safety of domestic abuse victims than just making them go away? What happened to her? Uh, she moved to St. Louis, um, and her abuser, like, stabbed her. Well, Maplewood. Fuck you. Yeah, I can mean... Can I say that? Is that okay? Can I, can I just tell them to go fuck themselves? It's a town. Real thing. Real thing. Real like, you thing. said... You, you Real sent story. me this story. I mean, he. you sent me a link to this. I looked at the, the title of the link and was just like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Then I read it and I was like, you've really got to be fucking kidding me. This is real life. Nope. It's Not a real kidding. Thing. Not kidding. So, 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 so there's that. Hey, nice to see you. Nice to see you. I mean, we... We are starting this interview. We just recorded with uh, Dr. David Gorski for uh, the past hour. Episode next month. Who knows when that will Episode something. It's so episode, episode something. Episode 50 something. Mm-hmm. Um, but now uh, we're so we ended that one talking about uh, physician assisted suicide. So, I mean, why not talk about something equally depressing to start out the show? But, I mean, hello and thank you for listening to the Science Enthusiast Podcast. Or, um, we're sorry. Why not both? We're definitely my is, sorry. <laughs> my name is Dan Robin. And as always, I'm joined by my pretty alt right friend, Natalie. Did you, I, you I must did have not read that. that. Did you? No, I didn't. No, like Do this, this was we, an old one. This was an old one. So, so the the again the integrity was compromised. No, well, yeah, because I I didn't do it, but yeah, I'm I'm Natalie, and I'm really happy to be here with you, Dan, on and she's episode forty nine. And she's not show. a Nazi. Hashtag I'm not, not a Nazi. Natalie, oh, not a Nazi. Just let's Hashtag not. So, anyways, that'll be trending by the morning. Even though the I mean, there's a picture until noon. So it's already trending right now. It's already it's, trending it's all over. somewhere it's in some in somewhere. some alt universe. Oh, yeah. oh, hate mail directed to N- at NC Newell at Twitter. There's Let's no just get it out of the way now. Get out of the way. There's no hate mail. Not in this version of the multiverse. So, There's so all right. So let's talk about something kind of cool, right? So this is this is episode forty nine. Neil Carter's episode. Awesome. Um, super stoked for people to listen to that interview. But so that means next week we will have done this for fifty episodes. Which I mean, did you think we'd make it to our like to like this far? Almost a full I mean, year. I didn't think we wouldn't, but there's no reason that I mean, we we could have we could just continue. We could just do a podcast a day, 
doesn't mean doesn't mean anybody wants to listen to it or anybody would download oh, it. Oh yeah, like, yeah, no, this is it it has really I mean it no significance other than a cool number because really people could just hate us and I mean, I'm sure some of them do. But um I mean, yeah. so anyways, for episode 50, but I mean we, to 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 not to not to not to interrupt, but <laughs> to what I was saying because I'm the man what I the man saying is always important. Hashtag Stop dancing me. Stop. <laughs> Stop Natalie <laughs> explaining me. Stop woman explaining me. Uh, we like a couple weeks ago went over 150,000 like all-time downloads of the show. Yay. So that's not insignificant. So thanks guys. I don't know. I, I don't like know what's I'm good. I like that number. <laughs> I think that sounds I, I think that sounds what. fine. Good. It's, so um it's next more than week. Zero. Next week, we're, it's more than zero. So next week, to celebrate doing 50 episodes and more than zero downloads, um, we're going to do like an Ask Me Anything-ish episode. You know, Ask Us Anything. Um, I believe the kids call that an AMA. An AMA. So if, um, if you guys have anything you want us to talk about or any questions for us, um, send a message to like, you know us on facebook Podcast or science enthusiast.com or message us or that, on facebook or message the facebook twitter or, or whatever like ask us something somewhere on the internet and we might actually answer it and give it just give us some stuff to talk about we'll just we're just gonna bullshit with each other for an hour for episode 50 so you know really really sorry already um and so this week dan has found a god of the week so I I don't I can't take credit for f- the find I can't take cre- I I didn't create this god I didn't well no one could create this god you're you've just I mean, chosen to worship biologically him. speaking somebody did okay true uh, true Two because this did. is this is a this is an actual human <laughs> yeah our, <laughs> sort our, of. our god this week sort of. uh, he's might be a lizard person we don't know we can't prove Maybe. he's not yeah. is uh, our god of the week this week is. Press Secretary Sean Spicer. What's he the god of? Uh, the god of literally not doing your one fucking job and just walking out of a press conference without answering a single goddamn question. Yeah, like and still having the job. Right, and and so and so I was I was told about this that like that happened today. Like today is Tuesday. We're recording Tuesday. It'll come out on Wednesday or whenever you listen to us. But that happened today, Tuesday, May 2nd, uh, in the year of our uh, Spaghetti Monster 2017. Mm-hmm. But so I went to went to verify this and went to was like, let me read about this. Let me read what happened. <laughs> and I couldn't find the story because, <laughs> well, well, no, that's not even the thing. The thing is, like, I go to find it and then I see first one of the first headlines. Sean Spicer's latest press conference could be his worst yet. Oh, great. I found it. Nope. That's from March 31st. Okay. Sean Spicer <laughs> held a press conference. He didn't take questions or the whole truth or tell the whole truth. Oh, great. I found it. Nope. That's uh, that's January 21st. Um, Spicer slams like, reporters, like the, but evidence doesn't match up. Uh, nope. Again, it's like the hold uh, my beer of press conferences. He, he is always He's always ready to outdo himself or do nothing or... Yeah, it's impressive. Like I wish I could just not do my job, and like you might get a little like shit for it, but like still have a job, right? 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 To just show up, not give a fuck, and then like you, then you just get to keep showing up, and you keep like, and you get to do less and less do? and less. What there are, are no do? expectations. Like you just what are you, gonna do? you bring like, the all... expectations so low. 
right and they're <laughs> like jeff sessions is uh is prosecuting the justice department is prosecuting somebody for laughing at him during congress that's a real thing that's happening uh donald trump tomorrow is probably going to sign basically a, a second version national version uh of the free uh, what is it religious freedom restoration act uh, yeah. Only called re- the religious liberty, 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 uh, yeah, order, or whatever, yeah, because we need we need more legislation to assert the freedoms that we already have, because that doesn't like you know not make sense at all. <sighs> the state of our nation. Well, and and then a couple days ago, uh, we had uh, who was it? Uh, forget I forget who it was. Uh, said, "Hey, well, Trump has looked into having the ability to sue the press." So, the press. I mean, why do we need any of that? We're we're like really really positive today. I just I just you know we have a good interview coming up here with uh, we Neil, do so yeah it's really good. We'll do that. So Let's listen, that. yeah. <laughs> Tonight, we are thrilled to be joined by Neil Carter. Um, Neil writes the blog Godless in Dixie, which chronicles the thoughts and struggles of a former evangelical Christian learning to relate to life as a skeptic in the Deep South. Um, and I know you do many other things besides that, but welcome, Neil. Thank you. Glad to talk to you tonight. Good to be here. Um, so we're going we're gonna to start where, I mean, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, um, just with the kind of blog you write and the work you do, but um, I want to kind of start with your, like, origin story from, you know, evangelical um, Christian to where you are now. So can you kind of talk to our audience a little bit about your your path from religion to, well, not. To not. <laughs> to not. Right. Um, yeah, sure. Well, I, uh, I grew up in Mississippi and was a Southern Baptist. So my background is very, very evangelical. And uh, I grew up in a mega church, had a lot going on. And um, you know, I was sort of marginally involved as a child. My family was involved, but it was nominal. And uh, it was around my teenage years at about age 16 that I got saved at a youth evangelism conference. And I hit the ground running. I was gung-ho for my faith and stayed that way for about 20 years. And um, first thing I did was, besides teaching Bible studies and Sunday school and occasionally going on little evangelism tours and preaching and things like that, was that... Um, in uh, college, I uh, minored in Bible because I was told that I could save it for seminary. And then I went to seminary, to Reformed Theological Seminary. So I got a little bit of Baptist, a little bit of Presbyterian. Uh, the only major tradition in the Protestant world I didn't get into was the charismatic world. It just didn't really fit me. Um, but anyway, I, uh, I left the Southern Baptist life in my 20s and joined up with a home church movement. So I really sort of had a broad spectrum of experiences. And the home church experience was part of an experiment myself. Uh, you know, I was taught as a Baptist that we were trying to be as New Testament as possible. So I dove into that and studied what the New Testament church was like and decided at one point that home church, something more informal and more participatory, was what I wanted. And I did that for about 10 years. Um, the, uh, what they don't tell you is that the more serious you are about your faith, the more you start to see where the holes are and have to figure out what to do about that. And that's actually the last post that I wrote was called basically, um, what did I call it? I don't remember. It was um, our biggest mistake was we did 
just as we were told to do. And that yes. was we read the Bible and we, you know, we studied the New Testament and we, we studied the church history and we studied theology and we devoted ourselves to it entirely. And it was precisely because we were so into what we were doing that we began to see where the holes were and where the gaps were. So it was in my mid-30s when I finally got to the point that I realized that I didn't really believe everything anymore. You know, it took a number of years for me to get to that point where I had run out of rationalizations. And I, uh, I've maintained for a long time that the people who hang on to their faith the longest are not the ones who aren't as smart. It's the other way around. Sometimes the smarter you are, the better you are at rationalizing what you believe. So those of us that made it into our 30s or even our 40s, we just got really, really good at rationalizing all of the gaps and holes, you know. And um, so I have a lot of patience for people who are still in the process of doing that, you know, and very little judgment because, you know, I'm a little bit embarrassed that I made it to 40, to 35 before I really realized that I, I, I didn't have good reasons to believe these things anymore. But at that point, my whole life was built around my faith and it was built around ministry and it was, it was built around the home church. So when I finally realized I didn't believe it anymore, everything started to fall apart. You know, first, first thing to go was the social life because my entire social life was built around church and all the people that were my closest friends growing up, they're all ministers in different, different capacities. And, uh, you know, it's not even a matter of, of a rejection on purpose from anybody. It's just that if church is your whole life, it's really hard to bond over anything, you know, because it's, it's your life. Um, eventually my family broke apart as well. That was the most painful part of my story is that, um, there were a lot of issues that we had to work through, but the, the biggest issue was that when my wife and I came together, we came together because of a common passion for, for the Lord, you know, for our faith. Yeah. And yeah. Um, when that was gone, that changed the dynamic entirely, you know, and it, even when it came to working through our differences, we didn't have a common reference point or framework to appeal to. And uh, so uh, sadly that didn't work. And we tried for about a year to work through our differences and then decided we had to go separate ways. Uh, so there's definitely been a lot of loss on my end. And, um, and people don't trust you in Mississippi if you're not a devout person, you know. Yeah. It's even, it's, it's okay if you're just sort of lukewarm, you know, and maybe you're into sports or hunting or whatever, <laughs> but just not much in the church. But to be an actual atheist, you know, to use the A word, that's, that's just going over the line. But for me personally, I had to go in and embrace that identity because for, for everyone else where I live, your, your faith determines everything about who you are. It's, it's like one of the first things they want to know is what kind of church do you belong to? It's, it's in the first two or three questions they ask you when you move to a new area. And uh, so for me, it, I got to the point where I realized I had to go on and embrace that label. And at first I was closeted. You know, I didn't tell anybody about it. But um, I was outed by other people. I was teaching high, uh, middle school a few years back, and one of my students was stalking me on Facebook and found that I had liked several atheist pages. And oh. she came to class the next day and raised her hand and said, Mr. Carter, are you an atheist? And I changed the subject. You know? And I, eventually they asked again, and I said, that's really not your business to know what my religious beliefs are. And they were like, why didn't you say no? You know, because every other teacher they have said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. In fact, most of them are very overt about their faith and they wear it on their sleeves around here. So at any rate, uh, the word got out, 
that I'm an atheist and that's like up there with child molester and, you know, like <laughs> drug dealer. No, I'm completely serious. No, no, I believe so it. Really it's, is, just, right? it's, it's just it the, the, yeah. the subtle irony of like the history of that escalated that is the Catholic church yeah. and yeah. topic. Of oh, I know. Podcasts. There's a lot of irony there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at any rate, I lost a lot of people's trust very quickly and I, I can actually physically see it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, because of, because of where I live, I have to keep this to myself as much as possible. <laughs> so I started a blog. Now, really, I didn't, I didn't start out with a blog. You know, at first I was very closeted. But, um, but even with the blog, you know, unless you're a blog reader and you like to read skeptic stuff, um, you know, I'm in a bubble. So it's not like everybody in Jackson, Mississippi would automatically know that I'm, that I'm an atheist and that I write. Uh, in fact, at my current job, I don't even go by the name Neil. Because um, that's my middle name, and I go by my first name. So uh, the students are always trying to pry into my personal life, and I have a Google problem because now I've done enough things, and I've even been on CBS once, and been on a number of podcasts, and so it's very easy to find me if you search the name Neil Carter. So whenever they ask me, uh, Coach Carter, what's your first name? Mr. Carter, what's your first name? I tell them it's Mister. Um, that works. It, yeah. it helps. Yeah, or Coach. And uh, at any rate. Uh, it's, it's caused a lot of problems at work too, because once my principal found out that I was an atheist, it, she raised it uh, up as an issue and you're not legally supposed to be able to do that. Right. She did it like, anyway. What you're it, not supposed to be able to. What it, well, like, what well, how was, did it happen? What was said? Okay. She came to my classroom. Uh, it was the morning after uh, Barack Obama won <laughs> the election, as a matter of fact. So she was on a So, so she's in a bad, so she's yeah, in a I was bad place say, already. <laughs> she was in a really bad mood. <laughs> They're well, looking see, for anybody at that point. Probably. Yeah, yeah, just target <laughs> yeah. practice. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I I live in a very red state, and if you look at the map, the county that I was teaching in was the reddest of all the counties in the metro area. It's just it's well known. Rankin County Schools, in fact, has made the news a number of times because the American Humanist Association has had to sue them for overt proselytization. But that's where my children were going to school, and I transferred to their school because I wanted to be where they were. Um, so I was trying to be very careful not to rock any boats, make any waves. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't protest when she brought this up. But she she um, she came in and she was upset, and she told me that um, she didn't want me talking about politics or religion anymore in my class. So here's the problem: I was teaching history, <laughs> so I don't know how you're supposed so, to teach history and not talk about politics or religion. So um, yeah, what so, does that what does that look like? That's a completely like reimagined or like let's just erase and like black out some things in the textbook like how, how do you, how do you uh, well, no but she just didn't want me addressing the issues because she didn't trust how i would uh lead the discussion she thought that i would i would i guess try to indoctrinate the children into my godless atheism and i mean the very next chapter was going to be the history of christianity which i was more qualified to teach than anybody at the school because i actually have a graduate degree you know, in Christian studies and studied a lot of church history, but I'm extremely careful with how objective I am in the way that I teach way more than the other teachers were. That was the big irony. Um, we had been following the election up until that point, And I had successfully taught a group of seventh graders how to track the electoral college, which in the last election was actually pretty easy to do. <laughs> this election was a completely different story. But in the last election, we predicted 50 out of 50 states correctly two weeks before the election. We got them all correct. And it wasn't that difficult because it was a different election. It was a different world. Uh, and Russian hackers weren't involved. <laughs> yeah. But well, they're, anyway, they're, they're, um, they're, they weren't involved this time. Just 
just right. uh, just microwaves right. and right. <laughs> uh, so at any rate, um, she said no politics or religion. And when I asked her why that was the case, because that's that's discriminatory behavior, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. She said, well, there's talk in the community that you told your students you're an atheist. And then she folded her arms and like waited for me to respond. And I was just, and she was tapping her foot. I was so stunned. I didn't know what to say. If I, if I could go back and relive that moment, I would have pushed back immediately and said, are you saying that I'm supposed to teach differently because I, I have been labeled as a different religious set of beliefs? Anyway, I, I, what I did was I just sat there in stunned silence. She finished her speech and she left and I emailed her later and I said, let me see if I understand this correctly. And I spelled out what my questions were. And she dodged the questions and she said, we'll talk about it in the next meeting. And we didn't, and we didn't yeah. in the next one or the next one. So finally I started trying to go through the appeals process. And this is a very, um, for the lack of a better word, incestuous county leadership. Yeah. Um, they, they're Everybody all, kind of knows each taught, other. And it's they're all related like, to each other. Yeah. Yeah, Natalie, like this, yeah, Natalie, Natalie's a former, uh, former school admin and I, I'm a former teacher at a, I imagine a, a, a small very small system. rural school yeah. in Indiana. So I can, all of the leadership was related yeah. to each other. Yeah. So the appeals process was completely non-objective mm-hmm. and rigged. I even tried the teacher's union, but Mississippi's a right to work state. So the teacher's unions have no power at all. Mm-hmm. Um, at any rate, uh, at the end of that year, they told me they weren't bringing me back. And when I asked why, uh, they said, you know, since this is your first year teaching for our system, we don't have to give you a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I knew what the reason was because the principal had laid out all of the rules halfway through the year. And not only that, but two months later, they moved me out of my history class in the middle of the school year and put me in a math class. Because they just didn't even want you to have that that platform. Right. So They're they figured like, I couldn't do get any damage in math. Yeah. I mean, how am I going to bring up atheism in math? You know? <laughs> This is the atheist theorem that we're talking about. Right. Like, yeah, well, Hemet, you know, Hemet Meta also taught math for a while. And his joke was always that, uh, you know, the only chance you get to bring in atheism is when we're talking about imaginary numbers. Right. You know, he'd say, these numbers are imaginary, just like God. <laughs> and just leave that and leave the room. and Right. And then drop the mic. <laughs> That's it. Bye. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I decided math actually was a good idea from here on out because I'm, I'm less likely to, to piss off anybody if I'm teaching math. So uh, I, I went to start working for some inner city school districts, and that's essentially what I'm doing now. Is I work inner city, lower income, lower performing schools, and I like the school that I'm at right now. Actually, even though their scores aren't great, it's some good people. Um, but it's easier to keep a low profile that way, you know. And um, and they're just happy for me to be there and to do my job, and uh, which I which I love. So um, it's working out, uh, but I I know I can't. I can't be out completely about who I am because it always leads to trouble. The last school that I taught at, uh, I would be gone for a conference. And when I came back, kids were carving the name of Jesus into the walls and into the desks. <laughs> that's, like, yeah. that's like a little creepy. Like, how yeah, I, I, are you? I came up with a term for it. I called it evangelism. <laughs> oh, I have was, I have a meme on my phone that says evangelism. Oh, wow. Well, so that you, that was me. You? I made that up. You're welcome. <laughs> well, thank you. Because that's um, fantastic. But that like, that's that's really weird. Well, you know what happened with that school was that the um, there's some pretty rough kids, and then there's the good kids, and the good kids are all church going kids, and they're the ones that kind of keep the bad kids straight whenever they're trying to act up. I mean, the teacher does too, but like I would be gone for a conference, and there would be a sub, and it would be up to the the good kids to watch the bad kids. But 
The problem is the good kids, the church-going kids, they found out about the blog into my second year, and they started lecturing me. I mean, I had this one girl come stand over me at my desk one day and tell me that she knew why she was in my classroom. And I said, uh, because you, you need to learn geometry? And she I said, know where no, this is going. no, I know. God brought me yeah. to this classroom so that I could minister to you and, and influence you and, and, and save you from yourself. And I oh, said, oh, sweet child. From myself. Child. Yeah. That's adorable. I'm like, honey, yeah, no. like I have a child your age and, and <laughs> I changed her diapers and anyway. Just um, know, like, but that, that's interesting to me though. Yeah. Like, the, like how, how bold that is that yes. they, that they feel like just by, by them having this belief mm-hmm. and you, you heathen atheist teacher, even though you are like, can can either of you imagine going up to your teacher and just like, listen, I've got a lecture for you. Like, right. Who yeah, does no, that? I can't even imagine it, but they felt empowered by their, right. you know, their, their pastor's charge to go out and save the lost. So wow. yeah, um, I, I've got a, I've got a post called um, Christianity has a major boundary problem. For real. And it's about that very thing. It's, it's even children. And I've had, I've had my own child, at age 11, uh, lecture me about my path that I'm on. And I know why she does it. It's because she goes to a church several times a week and has people telling her people that do not believe in Jesus are going to hell. And, and I had to sit down one night and tell the youngest child, uh, you know, something comforting, anything I could come up with when she was in tears telling me that she believed I was going to hell. Mm-hmm. And she had just gotten saved herself and just had a profession of faith, had just gotten baptized. And they were giving her all the new, you know, introductory, you know, lessons about being a new believer. And one of the things they tell you is, and now when you die, you get to go to heaven and be with all your loved ones, all the ones who believe in Jesus, at least. And they're like, well, what about daddy? Well, he doesn't really believe in Jesus. And then the tears start coming. And so one night when it was time for me to put her to bed, she was in tears clinging to my leg. And I asked her what was wrong. And she explained it's because she didn't think I was going to be with her in heaven. And I had to sit down and try to talk her through that. And obviously that's not a point where you can start and say, honey, hell is is bullshit. I promise it's not real. Like I can't tell my whatever she was, I think, six at the time. Uh, I can't tell her that. Um, so this kind of relates to a question that you had, that you had yeah. sent me before, yeah. which was how do you deal with the people who don't believe? How do you live in an environment that's like that? Um, especially for children, I, I'm not going to sweep the legs of their entire belief system as the only person in their life who is a non-believer. That is foolish because it will not work. You know, there's, there's, that's not even, that's not even good child psychology. You know, I've had enough psychology and teaching classes to know that the first thing they teach you is that you're supposed to engage prior knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. You start by figuring out what they know and then building on that rather than trying to come in and introducing an entire new framework that they don't even have hooks for, right? So I started out with what she already believed, which was that God is a father who loves his children. And I began talking her through the idea, (laughs) excuse me, that that if, if God loves us, then he's not going to let terrible things happen to us. <laughs> Certainly not just because we don't believe the right things. That doesn't even make any sense. And so we just kind of talked through it. And I know I didn't change her theology, but at least gave her a slightly different perspective to uh, make her a little bit less terrified so that she could go to sleep. That's well, a difficult position to be in, though. Yeah, because that just the <laughs> of all of that um, for, for children and 
you know, any teaching around that you have to behave a certain way in order to like receive, you know, future rewards. Or Mm -hmm. if you don't believe and you don't behave this certain way, like there's a really terrible fiery place awaiting you. Like, burn you forever (laughs) and that's and that's yeah and that's terrifying to to a child and i don't i don't see how that's not um like on some level of like like low-key emotional abuse to literally Mm -hmm. threaten a child that hey you need to go save all these people if you care about them if in in and if you don't do that then then that reflects on you because you didn't do your job as a good christian well enough so now dereliction of yeah. So dereliction of duty on your part. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and we experienced that people who are deconverts where we are, you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, we experienced that from all angles, you know, cause there's parents, there's cousins, there's sisters, there's brothers, there's friends, there's classmates. And every one of them feels that God has called them to get you saved again. You're everybody's project. Yep. You know, and, and it doesn't always mean they come at you with coercive, you know, pressuring tactics, but a lot of times in the deep South, it's very passive aggressive kinds of coercion, you know, and sometimes it's even that they just load you down with sweetness, you know, like they're super nice to you sometimes. And that is even ickier to me because I'm like, you know what, don't be nice to me just because you think it's going to butter me up to get me resaved. Like, you know? Is it like, do they, do they feel pity for those of us who don't believe? Do they feel responsibility to make, more people enter like God's heavenly kingdom and then they get, do they get rewarded better? Like what, what do they think about us? Well, I don't think that it's, it's just about getting trophies per se. I mean, I think there are some people that are looking for notches in their belt, but when we're talking about people that are close to us, like our family, it's just that, you know, they, they really think that we're going to suffer and they're afraid that the only way to love us is to make sure we don't suffer. So, of course, they're going to keep pressuring us in, in a thousand different ways. I mean, in, in a sense, I, I kind of can't blame them. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand why they're doing what they're doing. But in another sense, yeah, it's it's not productive. And, and I have to sit them down sometimes and tell them, you cannot come at me with these messages because they only backfire. First of all, it won't scare me for you to say that I'm going to hell because I don't. I think that's absurd. Right. Yeah. In fact, would you like for me to sit down and break apart why I think hell is absurd? I can start listing the reasons why it doesn't even make any sense. Um, and I could do that. I'm kind of itching to do that the next time somebody in my family wants to do that. But, um, but for the most part, I just have to tell them, don't you see how that's counterproductive to come at me with these fear tactics? Number one, it's not fearful for me since I don't even believe in it. And they can't seem to conceptualize that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. How can you be afraid of hell if you don't think it's real? But even then, it wouldn't be a successful tactic just to cover somebody with fear, you know. And I know that that must be something that works on them at a level, and that's why they're using it on me. But it obviously doesn't work on me. There was a time where I would have been scared by that, but I mean now, like I said, it's just absurd. I've deconstructed the idea to my satisfaction, so it doesn't really hold much power anymore. And so, like, obviously when people have, um, you know, this really strong religious belief in it. It's, I mean, it's tied to so many things. It's tied to community. It's tied to their sense of connection to the world and how they, they live and all this. And then it seems like, okay, that there might be a misconception that we don't really have anything that we're like believing in or like right. living for. We, we believe in nothing. I, I remember when I was working at um, a private school, I was having a conversation with another, with another teacher and she was talking about her church. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't go to church. And she asked me with like this look on her face, like, 
are you are you an atheist or something? And I was like, well, did she whisper the word? It was it are was like she actually it was so bizarre. She backed up slightly. When yes, she said they will it. physically get like, distance. They do that. So and I was like, well, yeah. And so and then her follow up question after the look of shock kind of wore off her face. She's like, well, are you telling me that you believe in nothing? And I was like, well, I mean, I don't believe in in God like you believe, but like, but I believe in love and each other and like being a good person because like this is all that we have. Like, I had to go on this thing where I had to feel. I felt almost like I had to say, yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm not like some reptilian thing that is just like you but know. You can't prove no that feelings. you're not. We can't prove that I'm not. But like, we'll nope. we'll just go with like I'm a human. Um, but it was a, it was an odd experience because I think there is that quality of like they don't necessarily get that you can have meaning. Right. And well, yeah. I mean, ideologically, they've been taught that morality comes from your religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. You know, that they believe that character and, and ethics and goodness, they're all um, derivative traits from being connected to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have those things, then obviously you can't access those traits. You know, you could try to maybe mimic them, but even then, you know, you're supposed to, it's supposed to fail somehow. And um, so ideologically, they can't understand since for them, the morality is always tied to their religious beliefs and it's tied to pleasing God. So if there's no God, then now you feel you can do whatever you want, like murder and rape, as if that's what we want. Right. Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't understand human nature. Uh, Well, and that's part of the problem is um, one of the central tenets of Christianity is that human nature is terrible. And that is perhaps the most important linchpin belief to Christianity. As much as I don't like to admit it, because progressive Christianity tries to move away from that and have a more positive view of humanity, but they always reach this point where they snap back and say, but there has to be a central need for saving somehow. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any point in Jesus. So that that core belief in humanity being bad is just something they can't shake. Um, so you have to have something powerful to overpower that and, and get you out of it. And that would be the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have that, then you're out of luck. And then if they come from, depending on what kind of tradition they come from, the more fundamentalist uh, traditions also are very literalistic with the way they believe things. I had a little bit of that in my background. They're little, literalistic in the way they think about end times, you know, eschatology. They're, they're into believing that um, I read that somewhere in Sweden, they're starting to put microchips in people's hands to, to track them at work, and they can use it to scan their accounts mm-hmm. to buy things. And of course, I had a grandmother that told me that that was going to be the mark of the beast. And to this day, yeah. they are certain that the chip is going to be in your hand or in your forehead, and that's going to be the mark of the beast. And they're scared to death. So they're very literalistic the way they read the Bible, looking for like future things. But they're also literalistic when they think about like having spirits inside of you. You've got a spirit in you that God, I guess, put into you when you were born. And when you die, either it's going to leave your body and go to heaven, or usually that's what they think. And they're kind of fuzzy at that point, because then what happens to you in the intermediate state? But somehow or another, your spirit goes to heaven, um, which means that you've got something inside of you that's alive if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian... You don't even you either don't even have it or it's there, but it's like dead. So there's like this whole part of you that doesn't even work. You know, it's like it's like having an, an organ missing. 
You know, um, they're very literalistic, yeah. some people, with the way they think about those things. So when you've got somebody looking at you and you say, I'm an atheist, they suddenly have now shifted into believing you're a different species, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. you're a completely different species. You, you, you lack an entire part of yourself that they have, and they don't know how to relate to you because to them, everything is geared towards that part of them functioning. If you don't have it, then they don't know what to do with you except try to get you saved. Well, and then, yeah. and even listening to you talk about how you've had to and still have to sort of hide parts of your your work and your identity. Yes. Um mm-hmm. I mean that like that to me because because I've I've felt that too working mm-hmm. in, in in and I and I live in I live in Maryland right outside of DC. I it, it's not like a conservative Christian whatever but there's definitely a vibe like when you're when I, I mean, my job was, I, I don't do it anymore, but I was the administrator of a small private school. And like, mm. I wasn't necessarily hiding that, right. but I wasn't, but you exactly talking about I wasn't it exactly talking about it either because there was, there's definitely like that experience I had with a coworker mm-hmm. that like, In, Ooh, like, who are you type of thing? Right. And In, so even, yeah. Even, yeah. No, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was. I was going to say, I mean, for me, like I've never had even like the worst experience I had whenever like telling somebody I'm atheist or whatever. And maybe it has to do with just how like fucking arrogant I am. But when it was telling my mom, cause she like, of course she cried and, and I was like 12 or 13 at the time and she, and she cried. She was upset because uh, like we, we talked about on the episode uh, that uh, of the, the podcast that came out today, uh, I got a message to the page saying somebody thanking me for causing her to fail as a mother because her child likes my page and is now atheist as a result of my page. And it was like the weirdest like message I think I've ever gotten. But it's like these people like they've internalized it so much that they feel like yes. it's a failure. Like she like yes. she's blaming me for like something that I think is good <laughs> that that we're teaching right. like rational Critical thought or thinking, we have rational yeah. thinkers. But now that's a bad thing that he's able to think independently and not like be indoctrinated, break that break that cycle of indoctrination right. there. Well, they don't think about it. They don't think about it as indoctrination. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what, it, there's a lot of fascinating sociology that you start to discover uh, experimentally. Um, as you come out as an atheist, one of the things you find out is that, uh, first of all, people's religion is very tied to their personal identity. Mm-hmm. So you cannot question passively or actively their core beliefs without it feeling like a personal attack on them. Mm-hmm. And, and you can try to explain there's a difference between disrespect and disagreement. We should be able to disagree without being disrespectful. But for most of the people I know around here, that does not make any sense. I can say those words, but they just don't see it that way. For them to disagree with a religious belief is disrespectful. You don't do that out loud. It's fine if you want to do it in the privacy of your own home. You can believe whatever you want because this is murka. But <laughs> yeah. you cannot say it out loud. Now, if they want to say their beliefs out loud, that's fine. Actually, it's good. People who go out and demonstrate their beliefs get praised for it around here. Our local business people and politicians, they wear their religion on their sleeves. Mm-hmm. You know, They make a show out of making sure they're in church every Sunday morning. They, their, their commercials during you know, election season talk about their faith. They'll have a Bible out and they'll read with their family and have a little devotional time on camera. 
staged for that. You know, it's very central to Southern culture in particular, but it's a part of their identity. And so you cannot say, I don't believe those things without them taking it personally. And another thing that I discovered is how much uh, Greta Christina has talked about this, but religion is based on such a flimsy empirical base. You know, it's, 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 it's a social construct. And it's passed along socially, which is why it's so tied to our identity, our identity. You know, our parents passed down something to us. And so it's a part of our heritage. And to question that or reject it, much worse, is to reject our heritage, you know, and to it's, it's like a shame on our family. But because it's a social construct, that means the strength of it depends on social consent. You know, there's, there's this unspoken rule that as long as people agree that this deserves respect, then, um, then it, it maintains its strength. But if I step away and say, I'm no longer in that camp, I've just removed one notch off of that consent, which means even if I never say a negative word about Christianity and just say, I no longer believe, I've now insulted them because I've removed, it's, it's an attack. You know, it, it, it's, I've taken a leg out from under the table that, that their faith is resting on because it's a social construct and I'm a part of that social fabric. So when I remove myself, I've just damaged them whether I want to or not. And that's the frustrating thing is I, I, there's no neutral way to be an atheist. You know, uh, Greta Christina's point was that, you know, it's not the same as like sexual orientation. You can tell someone that you're gay, but they don't immediately assume that means that you think they should be gay too. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So as offensive as it might be, they most people can gather the idea. They can grasp the idea that just because you're gay doesn't mean you think I'm supposed to be gay. But if you say you're atheist, now they feel like you must think they're foolish because you should be the same thing. They should be the same thing you are. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a totally different dynamic, which means the moment you publicly say you're an atheist, you've now gone up a notch as a villain. You know, before you were just something to be pitied, you know? Yeah. But now you're an enemy. And I'm talking about, you don't have to be proselytizing. I'm talking about just publicly naming yourself as an atheist. It's an act of war to them. And, and that means that the moment I came out, I started writing only after I had lost a teaching job. I had lost a family. I had lost pretty much all my friends. Mm -hmm. Again, not entirely their fault. Um, and, and had lost whole social life, then lost a job. I said, what's there left to lose? I'm going to just start writing again. And uh, let whoever finds out, find out. And, uh, and I've mostly lived that way for the last few years. But then each time I start a new teaching job, I, I'm quiet for that first year. Yeah. Because yeah. I need to get past that first <laughs> yeah. year. And then when I'm, I'm past that, I can start coming out a little bit more. So hopefully I can come back to the, mix, the school next year and then I can start coming out a bit more. So in and general I'm, then, like how, how do we make, I don't know, like our voices sort of heard and understood better where we're like is there a way for us to not be the villains and just like being an atheist right. just it's a normal thing like we're just i don't people I don't we're, mind we're, the idea of being a villain i never you, thought of yeah, it like okay that. dan like, wants to be a super villain and i'll be you want to be a villain he that's great be the villain I, like i'll be like, the nice one i'll be, i'm right yeah. i didn't say i would be good, nice good i mean I'd be we, nice we're, good, be a we're good cop bad cop anyways so like like yeah kind of like grew like he's a villain but he's nice but i guess he ends up i don't know don't spoil. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, sorry. Right, sorry if you haven't seen this movie that's been out for 10 years. My bad. That's, <laughs> no, no, no. They keep making sequels, though, so you never know where he's going to end up. He's going to be bad again or he's going to be good again. What's this going to be? Um, he's kind of an anti-villain now, isn't he? Um, 
<laughs> well, at any rate, it's it's Talk very much like that. Uh, you know, the, um, the superheroes and villains they have secret identities, <laughs> and and that's kind of what what people like me have to do is we have to keep a couple of identities. Yeah. We have a very compartmentalized life, and we have to maintain those compartments. I had a I had a conversation with somebody close to me very recently about that very thing about how difficult it is to come into the life of someone who's as closeted and compartmentalized as I am. It's probably an adjustment for people who, who aren't used to that. Um, there's a lot of circles that I don't let mix because if they mix, bad things happen to me, you know, um, very painful things. So it's, it's a, it's an unnatural way to live. How do we make it better? Um, for one thing, doing better PR. Um, I think that, um, you know, I, I've, I've gone on record a number of times saying that I, I favor diplomatic atheism more than the firebrand kind, but I'm also willing to acknowledge the use of firebrand atheism. Uh, and it's, it's even kind of a false construct to, to paint them like they're, they're really two opposite things because they're, they're not. I mean, I critique religion all the time, which is usually the purview of the firebrand atheist, but I critique it constantly. Um, I just am respectful when I do it. I don't call people stupid. I don't assume that it's a lack of intelligence on their part. And a lot of that's because I'm a former believer myself. So I can only go so far in thinking they're stupid because I was one of those yeah. people too. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the more I insult them, the more I'm insulting my own intelligence. Uh, but people who have never been believers in these things, uh, they generally don't understand how it's possible that anybody ever could unless they're stupid. And I've had to spend a lot of time explaining to people who have never been religious that those of us who were aren't stupid and weren't stupid. We, we had reasons for believing the things we believed, and I can kind of you know, lay out what they are for them. But this is one of the reasons why I distinguish between the nuns and the duns. You know, the nuns are the ones who aren't religiously affiliated, but they may not have ever been. And the duns are the ones who were, and now they're just done. You know? And there's a different quality to the way they approach religion and religious discourse because they generally have an appreciation for an ability to empathize with people who are devout. And we need more of that conversation in public, put out front. And, and personally, I would like to see that done by the major organizations that, that do that, you know, like American Atheists, for example. I think American Humanist Association does a pretty decent job of that. They have both sides going. Um, they have the litigious side going, which I think is necessary. Mm -hmm. We do have to fight things yeah. in the court because nobody gives up positions of privilege by asking nice, you know, <laughs> yeah. you have to actually fight them. But, you know, it's, it's about, it's like walking softly and carrying a big stick, right? You can, you can take them to court when they're not following the law and you can be ruthless about that, but you can also be a nice person and not talk down to people. And some people can't handle that. Some people cannot look at a Christian and not insult them. And, uh, and I, I just have no patience for that. You know, it's fine if you want to critique religion, but can you not treat the other person with the same amount of respect that you want them to treat you? And, um, so that, that could help, I think, if we could learn to do that. And I think, I think it takes all different types of voices to get that message across because you have to get – like sure. so you, have, you have to get attention somehow. So I, I think it's – like you, you mentioned you American Atheists uh, – in particular, uh, they, they like to do the firebrand approach, <laughs> and and I mean, it, but just so it kind of happens that that's kind of you know how I like to do uh, things too. But I think I think there's a big difference between. Uh, I I don't know what I would consider myself, but I know you 
most people might consider me to be like firebrand or uh, we'll say a bit aggressive. Somewhere on that end of the spectrum. (laughs) What I say, so so that's kind of the that's kind of where I fall. But I'm always I I feel like I'm always extremely clear with anytime I say anything, post anything, or uh, you know engage any comments. It's it's always about the ideas, never about the people. Just like you just said, like I don't think these people are stupid. Like they they've been indoctrinated and brainwashed since they were a child and and they've been told this and and they've been uh you know since since they were a fetus they were told if you don't believe in jesus you're going to go to hell and everybody you love is going to go to hell and and everything's going to be awful because god loves you but if you don't love him back you're going to hell and and so Mm -hmm. i i i think people who do that are just assholes, and I, I, would, I wouldn't even consider them to be firebrand. They're just assholes, and it. I, I think it's. I think it's great to critique those people, but I think we need that balance. We need people to get the attention, and then we, and then we can have people who are more, I guess, calm or or not as uh, in your face it's about things, kind of. You know, either if you want to view it as coming in and cleaning up the mess that, that they made after we got all these pissed off, uh, you know, Christians now or or, or whatever religion we're discussing, if we want to come in and you know clean up that mess or just you know explain the you know in a bit more nuanced fashion, I think I think mm-hmm. everything like that is is uh, beneficial in its own way. The way, the way that I usually um, resolve that tension is by describing the firebrand and diplomatic approaches as tools mm-hmm. in a toolkit, and, and you, you use them at different times, you know, based on what's appropriate yeah, for, the, for the audience. I think that the slash and burn American atheist approach to billboards that are meant to shock mm-hmm. and, you know, piss people off, I don't think that works in Jackson, Mississippi. In fact, right now, you can't even get a billboard up in Jackson, Mississippi. You know, we got strip clubs yeah. advertising <laughs> on the billboards, but they will not put up an American atheist billboard. Uh, they got one up in Tupelo for I think maybe two hours, and that was it. Just like and it was taken yeah. down. Yeah, and then West Monroe, Louisiana, had one up for a couple of hours, and it was gone. Like same day, um, the community just gets so up in arms because they take it as a personal insult to them. Again, the half naked women on the boards, not so much, right. but the atheists. Even if it's just you don't believe in God, you're not alone. You know, even that can be offensive. But but you know what? At least that is not a as much as a slap to people. That's that's reaching out to the ones who are already on the same side of that aisle. And it's more of a positive message, you know. So that kind of approach would be better than the ones that say, uh, skip celebrating Christmas this year. You know it's a myth. Because no, that's not true. In Jackson, Mississippi, most people don't think it's a myth. Mm-hmm. You know, they um, they really believe these things happened. So there has to be a willingness to understand your audience. And, and, and I think one approach works in one environment, maybe even on a national stage. But like in a place like the Deep South, I think a diplomatic approach is the only one that will get anywhere because nobody's going to listen to you. You know, there's this thing called the backfire effect where if you throw out too much at, at a person that's, uh, that's, that's contradictory to what they believe – they are going to just dig their heels in more and listen to you even less. And you're not getting anywhere. We, At that point, you're are just... Are we talking about Christians now, or are we talking about Trump supporters in the last election? I'm kind of confused. It, Is there a difference? Well, <laughs> but it's it translates to so many things. Because like, this kind of conversation, like, I think about, you know, some of the stuff I'm working on with, like, like, the parenting and, like, the movie I'm making focuses on, like, 
anti-vaccine and anti-GMO people and like, how do you talk to them and how do you change minds and all of that? And that's, and the thing is, is that there are people like that will never change their minds and we're not like, let's not fight with them like in internet comments or in real life or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then you have these conversations like geared toward the middle where try to be as calm and rational as possible, but also try to find the common ground you have as people as much as possible. Cause like, because yes. even though, I mean, I agree. like I will, I will differ greatly in so many ways from say, like, I'm just going to bring it to the sciencey stuff from like a parent who, you know, believes that like GMOs are the devil. Like this parent and I are not going to see eye to eye on that, but there are probably mm -hmm. so many things that we do have in common, like kids or like, yeah where we live or, you know, whatever, where you can have conversations and then you don't have to have the tough mm -hmm. ones right away. You get... Right. Basic people skills can really yes, come in handy yeah. so, I, so I think it's that like common ground and communication that translates to so many of these kind of dicier issues, the, the religion mm -hmm. stuff, the like the political stuff, Jesus Christ, of course. And like, and then all like some of these issues around science and pseudoscience and all of that where it it's mm -hmm. not just about like you know quoting quoting the bible back at people or you know giving them the results of all these different studies and evidence it's like let's be people first and then let's maybe right get to some of these conversations i don't know like yeah well but if you've started off by establishing some kind of rapport and relationship it makes a huge difference and, and so, you know, I, I think you've answered your question there. I think just helping to uh, reestablish that atheists are people too, yeah. and they have a lot of the same interests and goals. You know, I just, I think that's, I think just being a normal, nice person, I think is the biggest need. And, and believe it or not, that's a, that's a thing you have to say out loud because people don't seem to get that. Some people feel, uh, honestly, I think what happens is like you said, some of them are naturally assholes. And they like to get a reaction out of people. And they use the firebrand atheism style as a cover for a personality trait that they want validated. And they find validation in that, just like the firebrand preacher does, who's out preaching fire and brimstone. You know, they like authoritarian style leadership. And they've found a, an umbrella to be under that allows them to use that and to wield that like a weapon over people to make them feel powerful. I think atheists are the same way. I think they have their messages that make them feel like they are in the right. You know, it's, it's a sanctimoniousness, you know, uh, of a different kind. It's an intellectual sanctimoniousness that makes them feel better than everybody else. And that's why they act like assholes, because they need that. They're insecure. And I have no patience for that. You know, there's a point at which I can tell it's crossing that line with some people. And I'm not going to come behind them and say, okay, you've got your style and I've got mine. When it gets like that, I'm going to say, no, you're... You're actually undermining everything we're trying to do. And then I guess like with these with these conversations or these interactions, I mean, I think obviously we or I would hope that sometimes people might say, OK, let me think a little bit more critically about whatever topic it is that we're trying to discuss. Like if say there you were having a conversation with somebody who is like similar in a similar position to you, kind of like deep south question, like questioning their faith, like. What it, like what advice do you give to that person? Because obviously there's probably compelling reasons to just stay in in a religion, in a faith, because of community, because of those kind of things. Um, mm. where like it's hard. That's a hard one. 
and um so what do i tell dan what yeah what, what, what where do you go with it oh dan no, i was asking oh i was i was gonna yeah. say i think that's why so many um you know I, of course i can't speak to uh mississippi and and the like, hardcore uh christian uh evangelicalism like that but i think that's why so many that even have those doubts stay with it is because of that sense of community is and, and like you said like sure you lost you, you know you you feel like i mean of course you didn't but you feel like you lost you know everything and now you're the shell of a person now who has has nothing thanks gee <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's, it's a real, it's a real issue. And, and because of the number of things that I've lost, I am less likely to encourage people to leave. You know, it's, it's not, it's not that I don't think they should follow their conscience, you know, uh, but, but I, I, I do know a little too existentially that if they do leave, there's a good chance that it's going to be a long time before they reestablish a new community if they live around here. Mm-hmm. Now, other parts of the country, maybe not so much, you know, but other parts of the country, they're probably having less of a struggle about that to begin with because they find other things to get involved in. There's a club for this and a group for that, and they're not overtly religious, so there's a lot of places where you can build community. Around here, every sub-community and subculture is so rife with religion that there's almost nowhere to go where you are free from it. You know, you almost have to explicitly create a community for non-believers for that to even exist in any form. And, uh, and, and, and that's problematic too, because now you've got a group that exists solely to validate atheism. And, uh, and that's, that's like a one, that's a one issue kind of thing. And there's not going to be a lot you have in common. One of your questions that you forwarded had to do with uh, how to engage in politics. And well, that was, it wasn't you. It was someone who commented and added a question in, asked whether politics could be something that's added to uh, our focuses, (laughs) our foci uh, as atheists. And, and my answer to that is on the one hand, we have to be, we have to engage in civic engagement. We have to get involved in the civic process or, or we won't have any influence but on the other hand, there are not a lot of things we all agree on politically. You know, I mean, the only thing we as a group agree on is atheism. And that's such a small fraction mm-hmm. of what it means to be a human. The God question is just one question out of thousands, you know. So there's a, there's, there, there might be more that we have that are not in common as atheists. And so I don't know how well we can organize around political issues if atheism is supposed to be the reason why that group is together. Right. Like that's um, like that's like our thing is like we don't. <laughs> we, we, we don't, don't even God. So we don't all have to agree, right? Uh, that's like the yeah. entire entire point, right? We don't we, we don't respond well to instructions being told what we are supposed to believe. But um, I would say to those people, first of all, that they they need to engage in um, hunting for friends online for starters. I mean, they need to look for people within their area too, if at all possible. That would be ideal. But it's very hard sometimes to find people in your area who are not not Christians. Um, they're, they're out there, but they're all closeted just like you. So if you live in South Georgia, somewhere in a small town, you might be the only atheist that you know. And it's not something you can bring up at the coffee table, under the dinner table. You know, like you can't be at a restaurant and go, anybody here an atheist? And there's like, you know, no, um, no. You, like, get away. No, no. And even the ones that are, are going to say no, um, cause they don't want to lose everything. But, um, I would say that they need to look online and try to find ways to connect with people. And even though that's, that's, um, that's less gratifying than people in your vicinity, that might be the best you can get. And the internet is a lifeline for people like us who are in the middle of the Bible Belt or who are even in smaller towns 
at least I'm in a big enough town that I could find a couple of dozen people to get together with if we have enough time to plan. Um, that we might not have a ton in common as a group of people, but we at least can commiserate yeah. about this one thing. But if you're in a small, tiny town, I would say the internet's going to be a lifeline. You know, following blogs, following podcasts, meeting friends that way, um, people that, that are friends of mine on my Facebook wall, I use my wall constantly to try to connect people, uh, like almost like a, a little community, because I know how many people that are friends of mine don't have any other way to find people but, but on Facebook walls. And, and I use a lot of controls for who sees what. Again, it's those compartments. Um, there's a lot of controls about who sees what on my wall so that people can feel safe there. You know, these are the sorts of things you have to do. Uh, so I would suggest that finding friends, maybe even getting away to a conference once, once in a while, uh, because once you get to meet people and you see that you're not alone and you form friendships there that you can build on over time, um, finding books to read and podcasts to listen to can be a lifeline. Books didn't help me much for whatever reason. Uh, most of the books that I found were written from the perspective of people who had never been a Christian before. And, and it was a lot more harsh and critical. You know, some yeah. of the four horsemen, they just, they didn't because do anything. Because you couldn't them, relate you know, to as, them, right? Because they, their perspective yeah. at all. And they yeah. couldn't relate to me. Yeah. And I could yeah. feel that. And, and I think, I think anybody else who's struggling with their faith, I think they would probably have a similar experience to me. I think more often than not, they would read the sort of um, vitriol in Christopher Hitchens' book or maybe one of Dawkins' books. And it's just, it just rubs them the wrong way. They're still reading it with like Christian eyes. And they need something that, that's going to ease them into it, uh, and that's, which is something I want to do. I want to try to yeah. write some more that, that will help introduce people in a gradual way to the process of thinking through them. Not trying to push them out the door, but just kind of say, you know what, here's some of the things that you're struggling with, and here's why it's okay to be struggling with those things. So I think finding books, finding podcasts and friends online, getting away to conferences, and then I would not push them to come out too quickly. Uh, I usually tell people not to come out unless they've already got, number one, financial independence. Hmm. So I don't tell 22-year-olds who are still living with their folks yeah. to come out to their folks. Yeah. It's not going to go well. Just telling you. They're going to, they're gonna, even if they're nice, they're going to be very, very tempted to use their position of influence uh, and financial de- independence or dependence to, uh, to try to coerce you back into believing in mm-hmm. Jesus. They will do that, even the nice ones. Um, but the same thing is true for social support as well. If you don't have a large social support network, I would not advise jumping out and telling everybody you're an atheist. Not if you're in like a very religious place. I would, I would tell people to wait until they've got enough of a support network in place that they know they can handle whatever the worst possible backlash could be. And then if they come out and there's no backlash, then great. You know, Now they've got a whole bunch of friends that they made. And they spend a whole bunch of time reading books and listening to blogs that uh, or listening to podcasts that help them kind of Think through well, see, and this is why I like I really appreciate your approach, and why we like to have people on the show who have kind of left religion and tell their stories because I think it's it's an accessible way to talk about you know lack of belief that there that it it's yeah. a journey from one place to another, and that maybe there's somebody listening who can relate to that, and you know, and yes, and it doesn't just go to like Dawkins or Hitchens who like I like. I love their books, but I'm a. Di- I was a different. I was a different audience. I didn't. I wasn't coming from that mm-hmm. place of like super strong belief ever, really. So I think all of these different perspectives are really important. As, as you, as we kind of like wrap up now, can you tell everybody where to find you on the internet? Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, you can just go to godlessanddixie.com. Yeah. 
for one thing, and that'll bring you to the Pathios page. It'll redirect you. And uh, right now, Pathios is hosting Godless and Dixie, which I'm really happy with because they do a good job. There's a lot of ads that you have to fight, but uh, I think they're supposed to be working on a new site design sometime this month, which would be great. A lot of great other people that write for Pathios, and I really like being a part of that community because uh, we kind of push each other and nudge each other, and sometimes we fight each other, but it's always you know an intramural fight, um, even within the different channels. So GodlessandDixie.com. Um, there's Twitter, you know, at Godless and Dixie. Godless it's just pretty much, it's a unique name. So once you look awesome. it up, you'll find well, it. Well, thank you so much for talking to us tonight. And, um, you know, sure. come back Happy sometime. To be here. Talk to us again. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was like fantastic. Yeah. Cool. I hope uh, we got off the yeah, subject a good bit. But it's like, I, I have that just in case, <laughs> but like, I prefer, I prefer the ones that like don't really need to like look at you know like oh what okay. can we talk about for the next like little while like yeah. I yeah well you know I'm a teacher for a living so I have no yeah. trouble so no I I like I these like I really like these conversations so yeah this good. is this is really good, good. well yeah. I had a good time thank you for having me on. where so are I'm, you from I'm originally? from Connecticut and I'm in Connecticut right now actually but you sound almost Canadian do sometimes. I <laughs> you say a, a boat you say a boat. <laughs> You have this one thing you do with the word a boat that oh, sounds almost like you're from like, like Great Canadian. Lakes, maybe. No, like, I'm from Connecticut. I'm New England. There's just oh, like this weird. one phrase that you say that sounds well, almost that I Canadian. Could, I could like flee to Canada because of the Donald Trump era, and people would and be, be like, to, "Oh, you fit, you fit right you in. in." Like I just you're like I lost us, my right? I on. lost my passport or I lost my Canadian identification or something. Look, here's here's my maple syrup. Yeah, like, I promise. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. So. All right. Well, good to know. I, I have I have this accent that I could like. Apparently, just every once in a while. Of course, maybe everybody sounds like that to me because I'm so. But far see, south. But, and you, I don't. You don't have a super strong yeah, southern drawl. I was expecting a little I, more. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I was I'm definitely expecting city, y'all so. and. <laughs> well, I, I do whip that out, and the more I've had to drink, the more it starts to draw out. But it, it largely is dependent upon who I'm talking to, and I don't even do that on purpose, but. I just I mimic the way other people talk by habit. So one one question that's not so obvious. One question I wanted to ask you because we always have a segment because uh, because we do uh, get a little aggressive about about mocking uh, religion here. Uh, we always mm-hmm. have a God of the Week uh, because if we're gonna like. You never run out because there's like thousands to choose from, and we're not yeah, gonna do thousands. thousands. So, nice. so uh, do you? Ha- do you have a favorite god uh, uh, that you can that you can think of uh, beyond uh, beyond, of course, the one true God? Hmm. Well, um, so there's 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 some that uh, that I've that I've studied over the years that are kind of fun. Uh, the um, <laughs> there's so many different inappropriate ways I can go with that. I like some of the Eastern gods because. In Eastern spirituality, they blend sexuality and religion a lot more naturally <laughs> yeah, than we do here. That's been like the last two months of gods that we've done. Like it's it's been has it? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, we're not complaining because like it gives yeah. us like so much like material. So to go much off material. Of. But there really is. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I had one of the things that I discovered when I was studying the Book of Galatians is that there is a historical reason why uh, Paul said something about wishing that the, um, the Judaizers would castrate themselves. You know, the, I don't know how much you know about the story of the book of Galatians, but uh, the book of Galatians is written to a church in Asia Minor that's now modern-day Turkey. 
And um, at the time, the Jews were coming up from Jerusalem and they were trying to convince the new Christians who were Gentiles that they needed to become Jews. And among the requirements of becoming a Jew is, of course, you have to go under the knife <laughs> and yep. get circumcised. So if you can imagine being a grown man being told you have to have a bit of your thing cut off. We can say uh, penis. Not a popular. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so. Um, I, it's important. Yeah, I, it's important to use anatomically correct terms. Yeah, you're right. I'm a social worker. Yeah, you're right. I agree. Though, that's like. Yeah. It's really something. So, you know, and Paul, you know, God bless him, understood that there is no way you're going to sell this religion to a world of Gentiles if you have to cut penises as a, <laughs> just as a way to get in. So, you know, he revamped the whole thing and said, no, 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 no. Circumcision was always meant to be a metaphorical thing. It's about putting off the... <laughs> so so it's he's about like, putting like off, the first, like, this is a metaphor. Like, this is... Yes, exactly. <laughs> the cracker does what not he did. really turn he, into flesh. It, it's a metaphor. Right. right. He, he, turned, he turned the whole thing into a metaphor and, and it made it acceptable to Gentiles. They're like, oh, so we don't have to get cut on our dicks, you know? Uh, so... Um, at any rate, he says something about wishing the Judaizers would accidentally castrate themselves if, if they won't shut up about this, this contention, because many of them believed that they needed to continue making everybody good Jews. Turns out that in that region of the country, there was a, a god or goddess called Sibeli, uh, C-Y-B-E-L-E, and um, she was, it was a, more of a matriarchal um, religion. You know, it was the women okay. who were the priests. And the men were like the servants. They were the peons who did all the hard work and the dirty work. And um, there was a funny um, gender bending sort of tendency among this religion where the women kind of wore the pants in the religion. And the men would grow their fingernails really long and they would wear like kinds of makeup and long flowing gowns. But one of the things that they wanted the men to do was to castrate themselves. And so the priests of Sibeli uh, had to do that. They had to castrate themselves, not just circumcise. Just like the castrate. full, full um, Monty. Wow. They had to become That's... eunuchs. Yeah. They had to become eunuchs to serve the priests, the priestesses. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty, pretty wicked religion. And, um, See, that's, and, uh, that's so a future Paul feminist want, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at any rate, <laughs> at any rate yeah. So Paul came to that region and he just, you know, that was one of his first things was, well, you know, why don't you just go the whole way and just cut everything off? You know, oh this is what you're going to do. So, you know, he was, he was, he was, he was being metaphorically digging a knife, you know, into them. And, uh, I mean, apparently he was successful because Judaism did not take hold in that area. And Paul's version of Christianity is the one that won. And uh, they reinterpreted Christianity to be about spiritual things instead of, you know, cutting penises and not eating pork. Wow. So, so he was successful. But Sibeli is an interesting, I, I interesting think, goddess. Uh, I think I I'll be looking looking her up on Wikipedia and checking, checking her, her out. out. <laughs> and, uh, She's interesting. Yeah. One of the things that they did was they would have a bull come stand above the people who were supposed to be forgiven of their sins. And they would cut the throat of the bull. And you would stand under the bull, like there was a grate that you would stand under, and they would let the bull just bleed all over you. And that was how you got washed of your sins. It was part of their rituals. That's so awful. A, a gross wow. You have to go wash the blood yeah. off, so then you're washing off. You do. Right. Yeah, washed. but it's okay, because now you're spiritually clean, You just as long as you've you know, cut your, your awesome. nuts off. Religion is savage. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it? You know what? Ours is like, actually not that bad. When you I mean, like that that. Is, that's just a whole other level. Like, wow. Isn't it? Yeah. Wow. It's a British age. Jesus Christ. So, wow. Sibeli. Well, thank you for that because I will. I will use that for if 
for um okay for god of the week that's i'm like i'm all about these uh really weird Oh my god, I said, oh, said again, no. about, about. That's it. That's what I'm talking about. About I'm on a boat that. Oh god, I'm Told Canadian. I, no Canadian no, anywhere in your no, family? Like it, a grandmother? No. Okay. Unless like oh, maybe need, maybe I, I need to do like a twenty three and me or something. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna launch an investigation into this. This is gonna be I'm not sure genetics getting your accent, <laughs> but you know it's worth let's a try. Just, let's pretend. Love the internet this week. Again, we we started calling this section why we love the internet. It's more just evolving into like the internet. It's a thing that brings us things and ideas. So um so Emily posted um a link for me saying um that somebody in the New York Times wrote that like we should say nice stuff about Donald Trump. Or like to try to, you know, a challenge sort of. To say the, some the say Jezebel some nice stuff about yeah, say some nice stuff about Donald Trump. Filed under, it's filed under positivity, which is <laughs> so so like so okay so so my so here's here's the challenge for us is to say is to say some nice things about Donald Trump and so Emily who gave this suggestion for this particular reason we love whatever the internet so she says and and this is true that. That Donald Trump is good at welcoming slash complimenting slash all around bolstering cruel dictators. Yeah. With true, I, I think it yeah. would be honored to talk to Kim Jong Un. So yeah, so so there's that. I think he's good at just making sure that his kids have jobs. I think he's right? good at distracting people from from actual problems that that he has or or character flaws or really yeah, just life. Yeah, I. I think he. I think he has a really good command of American history, particularly the Civil War. <laughs> I didn't even. I haven't even. Don't, I heard about that yesterday, don't. and I just was don't. like, "I no. that's enough internet." That's I'm enough inter- internet. Go home. Go home, America. You're drunk. You're not even um, drunk. You're just no. I don't know what the I don't know. Is I don't know. So 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 yeah, guys. Like you should all start saying nice things about Donald Trump because. He is our commander in chief, um, somehow, and um, I think we could, you know, just instead of even talking, just play some silence because there's really nothing else good to say. Just have a moment of silence for all the good things. Well, about we we had a moment of silence until you ruined it. It was it's ruined. I ruined everything. Now. I'm a woman. It's ruined. I'm, I'm used to it. Ruined. 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 <laughs> I'm used to it. So so yeah. All right. So we're gonna. Now you're gonna thank people for giving us some money, maybe. Yeah, I mean, and if if you if you like our show and you, I guess, kind of don't like money or like want to not have as much money, um, you can give us money at Patreon.com/tse podcast, and we give you like stuff early, and we say your names, and I mean, we like you, and then you get into our like super cool Facebook group that uh, is on. I mean, it's on Facebook. So, uh, I mean, that's cool, right? Right, guys? Yeah. Right? And, and they just I mean, get just our like, love. Mo- mostly from you because I have a cold, black, dead heart. But if you want to be just like Michael and Trevor and Nathan and Alice and Crystal and Michael and Michael and Magnus and Savannah, 
she probably hates me for saying it like that. Everyone uh, knows everybody hates me, so it's okay. <laughs> Felix, Amanda, Chris, James, Sarah, and Josue, we would be incredibly grateful. If you don't want to give us money, that's cool too. Just, you know, we appreciate you listening. You can give us five star rating on iTunes, or apparently you can rate us on Facebook. I guess if you do want. It, I don't know maybe. what good that does. Uh, or check out all the things that we do at scienceenthusiastpodcast.com. Uh, Natalie's page, my page, or pages, or the, I mean, I mean, we're just kind of everywhere. It feels there's like, a lot so. of places. There's a lot of places on the internet, and we're sorry. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. It's exhausting. It is. Why don't you hit us with a quote? All right. So um, the quote is. Your actions speak so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. And this quote, so this was put in um, a Facebook post that, um, or the, in the comment section of a Facebook post by, um, by Neil Carter's girlfriend, Lauren. And she said this was something that her eighth grade teacher, Mr. Horton, used to say a lot. And I just thought it, I like it. I like it because, you know, speak with your actions. Be a good person. Don't be a dick. Be you a can dick. talk all you want, but, you know be better than that so oh so this is what's kind of funny too is i was like oh that that's cool i'm gonna use it um with a little credit to mr horton she said mr horton taught at like a like religious school but and so i figured okay he's definitely never gonna listen to this podcast but um supposedly this quote also comes from maybe a bad religion song the like punk band so interesting but i liked it and uh well wait i mean me just utilizing the internet as uh as we go here i appears to be a ralph Waldo Emerson quote. Oh, so it's so it's everywhere. Everyone uses it. Cool, thanks. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, so there. Neil Carter's um, lovely girlfriend is represented in this episode too. And uh, next week, come back. We're apologizing in advance because it's just going to be the two of us talking. Yeah. We talked about like not disparaging ourselves too much. It's going to be awesome. It'll be great. It's going to be so good. But no, because I'm actually so it's up t- it's up to the people that are listening to give us questions and stuff to talk about. So it's actually this show, really, it's, it's all on them. Are it's, you victim blaming everybody. right now? Are you victim blaming right now? Yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> what I do. Oh, hi. Um, yeah. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe out there on the internet. Or don't. I mean, I'm not your dad. (laughs) Or don't. We are not their parents. The music you heard tonight was written and performed by Adam Johnson and was used with his permission. You can contact Adam at adamjohnsondc at gmail.com. This podcast is property of Not Narrow or Straight LLC. All rights reserved. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.